welcome to The Climate Realist. Here, we'll talk about realistic and achievable things you can do to help with climate change. Personally, I believe that the Earth's climate is changing in a major way and that most of it is human-caused. If you are skeptical, please listen anyway. I respect your point of view, and this podcast may help you to understand what all the fuss is about. At the very least, you'll hear a lot of ways to save money. This episode, we'll be talking again with my artificial intelligence co-host, Sophie. Sophie's very well read and has absorbed more information than any human ever could. Hi, Sophie. Welcome back. Can you explain what the 100-mile diet is? Absolutely. The 100-mile diet is all about eating locally by sourcing food that's grown or produced within a 100-mile radius of where you live. It's a sustainable approach that supports local farmers and reduces the environmental impact of transportation. What are your thoughts on it? The 100-mile diet sounds great in concept. I'm wondering how it works with seasonal foods. In a lot of places in North America, the harvest season's pretty short. What happens the rest of the year? You're right. Seasonality poses a challenge. During the harvest season, it's easier to stick to the 100-mile diet. Outside that window, people often preserve or store food for the off-season. This can involve canning, freezing, or relying on root cellars. Some also embrace the idea of enjoying each season's unique offerings and adjusting their diet accordingly. Have you tried incorporating local and seasonal foods into your diet? Yes, our family tries to eat local and seasonal foods as much as possible. My wife does it by canning, but freezing is more practical because we have a large upright freezer in the garage. Obtaining fresh local fruits and vegetables during the large part of the year outside of harvest time is a challenge though. Our grocery stores are typically stocked with food shipped from thousands of miles away. It's fantastic that your family is committed to eating local and seasonal foods. Dealing with the challenges, especially during off seasons, can be tough. It often involves finding local farmers markets, joining a community supported agriculture program, or even considering indoor gardening to supplement fresh produce. How has the experience been for your family so far? We do most of these things already. There are local fruit and vegetable stands and farmers markets in season, and we participate in a local organization called the Fruit Tree Project that harvests and distributes fruit to local community groups. What types of indoor gardening systems are available? Do they require hydroponics and grow lights? It sounds like you're already deeply involved in supporting local food sources. Fantastic. Indoor gardening has various approaches. While hydroponics and grow lights are options, there are simpler methods too. You can use containers or raised beds with natural light from windows. Herbs, microgreens, and certain vegetables do well indoors. Some people even repurpose items like old furniture or use vertical gardening systems. It depends on your space, time, and how hands-on you want to be. Ever thought about trying indoor gardening at home? A note to our listeners, with any indoor gardening, Be very careful and use your own discretion if you use automated watering. You certainly don't want water damage, humidity, or other problems inside your home. Yes, Sophie, we have a small conservatory with natural light and a floor drain. I'm wondering about the systems available for automated indoor gardening. Are there systems available that might fit inside of an old refrigerator or similar size? Absolutely. Automated indoor gardening systems come in various sizes and complexities. While transforming an old refrigerator into a garden is a unique idea, there are more purpose-built solutions available. 
Look into smart hydroponic systems or vertical farming setups that often come with automated features like watering and lighting controls. These systems can be tailored to fit smaller spaces. The innovation in indoor gardening tech is quite impressive. Interested in exploring any specific systems? Yeah, let's explore what systems are available and their sizes and features. There are several indoor gardening systems with different sizes and features. Arrow Garden, Click and Grow, Tower Garden, and Seedo. Okay, tell me more about these. Compact and versatile, Arrow Garden is a popular choice. It's soil-free, uses hydroponics, and comes with built-in LED grow lights. They offer various models suitable for different spaces. Uh-huh. Known for its simplicity, Click and Grow provides smart planters with automated watering and lighting. It's beginner-friendly and offers a range of herbs, vegetables, and flowers. Right. Ideal for vertical gardening, Tower Garden allows you to grow multiple plants in a vertical space. It's soilless and uses aeroponics, making it efficient for various crops. And how about Seedo? A more advanced option, Seedo is a self-contained, fully automated grow box. It's designed to fit a small space and comes with features like climate control and app connectivity. Remember to consider factors like the size of your plant room, your preferred level of involvement, and the types of plants you want to grow. Any particular features catching your eye? The click and grow system sounds interesting. Tell me more. How big are these, and can they provide a continuous supply of vegetables all winter? What types of vegetables cannot be grown in these planters? Click and grow planters are compact and designed for simplicity. The size can vary, but they're generally tabletop or countertop sized, making them suitable for smaller spaces. While they're great for herbs like basil, mint, and thyme, and smaller vegetables like cherry tomatoes and lettuce, larger vegetables with extensive root systems might be a challenge. Mm -hmm. The continuous supply of vegetables depends on the growth cycle of each plant. Herbs often provide a steady harvest, while larger vegetables may have a longer growth period between harvests. You can experiment with different plants to optimize your indoor garden. However, certain vegetables that require more space or have extensive root systems might not thrive in these smaller planters. Examples include large varieties of tomatoes, carrots, or pumpkins. How about if I wanted fresh lettuce, tomatoes, carrots, peas, and spinach? You might want to consider a more versatile system. The tower garden could be a good fit as it allows for vertical gardening and supports a variety of crops. It uses aeroponics and can accommodate plants with different root structures. Got it. Additionally, while click and grow is excellent for herbs and smaller vegetables, it might be a bit limited for larger crops like tomatoes and carrots. Arrow Garden could work well for lettuce and herbs, but it might be a bit tight for carrots and peas. Mm -hmm. Remember that with indoor gardening, experimentation is key. Trying different systems for different crops could be a fun and rewarding way to find what works best for your preferences and space. Are you leaning towards a particular system for your mix of veggies? Perhaps the tower gardens. How much floor space do they need? And can you explain aeroponics? I understand the hydroponic concept and plants growing in soil, but I'm unfamiliar with aeroponics. A tower garden typically has a vertical design, making it space efficient. The footprint is relatively small, and it can fit on a patio or even indoors without taking up much floor space. Now, about aeroponics, it's a fascinating method. In aeroponics, plants are suspended in air, and nutrient-rich water is misted or sprayed directly onto their roots. This allows for optimal oxygen exposure, promoting faster growth and more efficient nutrient absorption. It's like a high-tech misting system for plant roots. Oh, cool. 
Aeroponics is known for being resource efficient and can result in faster growth rates compared to traditional soil or hydroponic systems. It's a great choice for vertical gardens like the tower garden, where plants are stacked in layers, each receiving the right amount of nutrients through the misting system. Curious to try out aeroponics for your veggies? Sure, I'm curious about aeroponics. Is Tower Garden a specific brand? Do they have a website? Yes, Tower Garden is a specific brand and they do have a website. You can find more information about their vertical gardening systems, including details on sizes, features, and available accessories. If you're interested, their website is a great place to explore and learn more about how Tower Garden could work for your indoor gardening needs. Are you thinking about checking it out? Okay, I had a look at the Tower Garden website. This system seems to use aeroponics with rock wool cubes as a growing medium, as opposed to having bare plant roots in the air. Interesting. Are some of the other systems more automated? Absolutely. Many indoor gardening systems come with varying levels of automation. For instance, Cedo is a highly automated grow box. It's equipped with climate control, automatic watering, and even has app connectivity for monitoring and controlling conditions remotely. Aero Garden is known for its simplicity and comes with automated features like built-in LED lights that adjust for plant growth and reminders for when to add nutrients. While not as advanced as Cedo, Click and Grow offers automated watering and lighting, making it user-friendly, especially for beginners. I see. The level of automation often correlates with the complexity of the system. If you're looking for a more hands-off approach, exploring systems with advanced automation features could be a good fit. What are you leaning towards in terms of automation? It would be nice to have the system automated enough that you could leave it untended for a week or so. To make the 100-mile diet practical for people, it needs to be not much more effort than going to the grocery store. For a system that allows for longer periods of untended growth and can potentially help feed a family, you might want to explore advanced automated grow boxes. These systems often come with climate control, precise nutrient delivery, and smartphone connectivity, making it easier to monitor and adjust conditions remotely. Mm -hmm. Their automation features can significantly reduce the effort required, aligning more closely with the convenience of traditional grocery shopping. It's a step towards making the 100-mile diet practical for busy families. Okay, Sophie, you mentioned root cellars, so let's talk about them next. Most urban and suburban homes don't have a place for traditional, partially underground root cellars. Are there other ways to store the types of vegetables that people traditionally stored in a root cellar? Our local fruit packing houses use a concept called cold storage. These not only keep the fruit cool, they have a way of limiting the oxygen so that the fruit lasts for many months. Can you compare and contrast root cellars with cold storage? Certainly, root cellars and cold storage serve the common purpose of preserving fruits and vegetables, but they differ in design and mechanisms. Cold storage is more feasible for urban and suburban homes as it doesn't require the same underground space as a traditional root cellar. Cold storage provides more control over temperature and humidity, allowing for customized conditions for various crops. Go on. While root cellars rely on natural conditions, cold storage requires more active management but offers greater flexibility. For urban and suburban settings, cold storage or modern refrigeration methods are often more practical than traditional root cellars. It's fascinating how technology has adapted to meet the preservation needs of different environments. What are your thoughts on integrating storage methods for locally sourced produce? I'd like to think a little bigger. We've so far have been talking about small-scale systems for growing and storing your own food. But that's sort of like a 100-foot diet rather than a 100-mile diet. What systems are available to store locally grown fruits and vegetables 
So they could be harvested by local farmers at the usual time, but then stored in cold storage or root cellars by a club, co-op, or local commercial enterprise. Scaling up for community storage is a great idea. For larger scale storage managed by clubs, co-ops, or local businesses, you might want to explore community cold storage, cooperative root cellars, commercial cold storage services, and local food hubs. Mm -hmm. Such shared storage solutions can enhance the viability of the 100-mile diet on a larger scale, fostering community resilience and sustainable food practices. I'm wondering if the same sort of shipping containers that are used to ship in food from thousands of miles away could instead be used for local cold storage. Will just keeping fruit and vegetables cold be enough to keep them fresh, or is it necessary to have an oxygen-free environment with nitrogen or other gases necessary? Using shipping containers for local cold storage is indeed a clever idea. While maintaining a low temperature is crucial for slowing down the ripening process and preserving freshness, controlling the atmosphere inside the storage is also important for certain fruits and vegetables. Mm -hmm. Combining cold storage with controlled atmosphere techniques can extend the shelf life of produce significantly. Using modified shipping containers equipped with these features could be a practical and efficient solution for local food storage. What are your thoughts on the potential of repurposing shipping containers for local cold storage? At harvest time, the local food would be packed into reusable boxes and placed into these sea cans that would be modified to control both the temperature and atmosphere. Every two weeks outside the harvest time, one of these containers is opened up and the fruits and vegetables in them distributed to the local grocery store, club, or co-op. Two weeks go by and then the next one's opened, and so on. So basically a sealed, cold, and atmosphere-controlled storage that's modular and designed to be opened in series one every two weeks. That sounds like a well-organized and sustainable system. Using modified shipping containers with controlled cold storage for local produce and distributing them in a scheduled manner ensures a steady supply throughout the year. The modular and sequential approach simplifies logistics and helps maintain the freshness of the fruits and vegetables. This kind of system not only supports local agriculture but also reduces the need for long-distance transportation contributing to a more environmentally friendly and community-focused approach to food distribution. Have you encountered any similar initiatives or considered proposing this idea to local agricultural organizations or community groups? I haven't encountered any yet. Realistically, the scale of having 26 shipping containers, each with temperature-controlled and controlled atmosphere, would run into the millions of dollars. Especially concerning would be the actual storage. Most towns have zoning rules and bylaws about shipping containers. Having just one or two may be allowed, but any more than that is usually considered an industrial use. So how about a smaller version of the same system, where each of the shipping containers is divided internally into about 10 sections, starting from the front of the container and working back towards the door. Each is completely sealed from the next one, and they are open just one at a time. Then at the smallest scale, a single shipping container would contain enough fruit and vegetables for an entire year for a small co-op or club. Breaking down the system into smaller, individually sealed sections within a shipping container is a clever adaptation. This approach not only addresses potential bylaw concerns but also offers scalability. Each section could be open sequentially, providing a consistent supply throughout the year. This modular and compartmentalized design would make it more feasible for smaller clubs or co-ops to implement without the need for extensive infrastructure. It aligns with the principles of the 100-mile diet while remaining practical and adaptable to local regulations. Exactly. It's impressive how you're thinking about both the logistical and regulatory aspects of such a system. 
Have you considered reaching out to local agricultural or community organizations to discuss and potentially implement this idea on a smaller scale? No, I haven't reached out to anyone yet. I'd first like to discuss it some more with you. I have a few more questions. Absolutely. I'm here to chat and help answer any questions you have. Go ahead and ask away. Under these controlled conditions, how long will fruit and vegetables stay fresh and edible? Is this dependent on the type of fruit and vegetable? And if so, which are the longest lasting? The shelf life of fruits and vegetables under controlled cold and atmosphere conditions can vary based on the type of produce. Leafy greens like lettuce and spinach typically have a shorter shelf life, ranging from a few weeks to a couple of months. That makes sense. Strawberries, blueberries, and raspberries might last a few weeks under ideal conditions, and apples can last several months. Oranges, lemons, and limes can last a few months. Okay. Root vegetables like carrots, potatoes, and beets can often last several months, while winter squash like butternut squash and acorn squash have a longer shelf life. Keep in mind that even with controlled storage, the quality of the produce may decline over time. Regular monitoring and periodic rotations can help ensure a steady supply of fresh fruits and vegetables. Are there specific types of produce you're particularly interested in preserving for an extended duration? Well, for such a system to work, the produce would need to be stored all the way from the end of one harvest to the beginning of the next, so nearly 10 months. Do tree fruits, root vegetables, and squash all have this shelf life under controlled conditions? Yes, tree fruits, root vegetables, and winter squash can indeed have shelf lives that align with the duration you mentioned, especially under controlled conditions like cold storage with modified atmospheres. It seems like you're considering a comprehensive and well-thought-out approach to local food storage. Anything specific you'd like to dive deeper into? So far, we've discussed single-family scale indoor growing, root cellars, and scalable ways of storing locally grown produce. Clearly, single-family outdoor gardens and community gardens have a place in any discussion of a 100-mile diet. What are your thoughts on those? Absolutely. Community and family gardens play a vital role in promoting and sustaining a 100-mile diet. Community gardens foster a sense of community by bringing people together around a shared activity. They create opportunities for social interaction, knowledge exchange, and a shared connection to local food. Yeah, I agree. Both single-family and community gardens can contribute to the diversity of locally grown produce. Different families or individuals may choose to grow various fruits, vegetables, and herbs, creating a rich tapestry of fresh, local options. Gardens also serve as educational spaces where people can learn about sustainable gardening practices, composting, and the seasonal cycles of different crops. Sure. Any more thoughts on gardens? Local gardens contribute to a reduction in the carbon footprint associated with food transportation. By growing food closer to home, the environmental impact of long-distance shipping is minimized. Both single-family and community gardens contribute to local food security. They offer a source of fresh, nutritious produce, reducing reliance on external food sources. Considering the diverse aspects of a 100-mile diet, from indoor cultivation to community engagement through gardens, it's inspiring to see how these elements can complement each other. Have you been involved in community gardening, or is it something you're considering? I grew up on a farm where everything from hay to corn to potatoes were grown. The original home farm was bought by the city and is now a sports field. But they left about an acre to be used as a community garden. It's quite popular. That's a wonderful transition from a farm to a community garden. It's heartening to hear that the city preserved a part of the land for communal cultivation. 
Community gardens provide not just fresh produce but also a sense of continuity, connecting the past agricultural history with present-day community engagement. It's fantastic that the acre set aside for the community garden is well used and appreciated. Do you ever visit or contribute to the community garden? It's in a nearby city, so I visit a couple of times a year, but just for old time's sake. Let's now discuss another component in the 100-mile diet, which could complement these other methods. There are a few modular hydroponic growing systems available. Some literally use shipping containers or Z-cans, and others are roughly the same size but built out of insulated panels. One I ran across is Grocer, spelled GROW-C-E-R, which uses relatively conventional shelves and aisles. Another is called Cubic Farm, which uses a serpentine chain with moving troughs to be fully automated with continuous output. What are your thoughts on these commercial-scale hydroponic systems for growing lettuce and other crops year-round? Commercial-scale hydroponic systems, especially those using modular structures like shipping containers or insulated panels, can be highly efficient and effective for year-round cultivation. Here are some thoughts on these systems. Hydroponic systems maximize space utilization by vertically stacking growing modules or utilizing the entire length of a shipping container. This is especially beneficial in urban or limited space environments. With controlled environments, hydroponic systems can provide a consistent and reliable supply of fresh produce regardless of seasonal variations. This is particularly valuable for crops like lettuce that can be grown continuously. Yes, go on. Hydroponic systems typically use less water compared to traditional soil farming. As water is recirculated and nutrients are delivered directly to the plants, this can contribute to more sustainable and resource-efficient agriculture. Systems like the one with a serpentine chain and moving troughs showcase automation, reducing the need for manual labor. This can enhance efficiency and make large-scale hydroponic farming economically viable. Controlled environments allow for precise control over factors like temperature, humidity, and nutrient levels, resulting in high-quality, consistent produce. Mm -hmm. Considering the potential benefits, commercial hydroponic systems are becoming increasingly popular, especially for crops that can be efficiently grown in such controlled conditions. It aligns well with the principles of the 100-mile diet, offering a local and sustainable alternative to long-distance transportation of produce. Have you come across any specific hydroponic systems that caught your interest? I'm still researching the various vertical farming systems available. Another part of the 100-mile diet I'd like to discuss is related to food security. Our food systems currently rely on food from far-off countries being shipped to Canada, entering through seaports, by rail or on trucks, then through warehouses, and finally ending up in large supermarkets. People nowadays seem to be completely unaware of where their food actually comes from. In the case of port or rail strikes, diplomatic spats, and natural disasters, these food sources and transportation systems may break down. Governments don't seem to put enough emphasis on food security. Can you suggest ways of getting city, state, provincial, and federal governments and agencies to focus more on food security, whether as part of climate change, resiliency, or otherwise? Promoting awareness and advocating for food security at various government levels is crucial for building resilient and sustainable communities. By combining education, advocacy, and collaboration, you can contribute to a broader movement that encourages governments to prioritize food security and local agriculture. What aspects of food security are you most passionate about addressing? Food security always needs to start local. My grandparents lived a 100-mile diet lifestyle by necessity. They had a large garden, a root cellar, a chicken coop, and traded with other locals and did lots of canning. 
Your grandparents' lifestyle reflects a resilient and self-sufficient approach to food. Emphasizing the importance of local resources and community collaboration, the combination of a large garden, root cellar, and canning allowed them to extend the availability of fresh produce beyond the growing season. Trading with neighbors also illustrates the communal aspect of supporting one another. This kind of self-sufficiency not only addresses immediate needs, but also contributes to a sense of community and shared responsibility. It's inspiring how these practices, born out of necessity, align with the principles of the 100-mile diet and local food security. You got it. Bringing back such practices and fostering a community-centered approach can be a powerful way to enhance food security, resilience, and sustainability. What aspects of your grandparents' lifestyle do you find most resonant or inspiring for today's communities? They had to take personal responsibility for almost everything in their life, including their own food supply. They ate what was in season and stored and canned the rest. They cooperated with others in their community. By contrast, the vast majority of people nowadays expect to go into a huge, brightly lit supermarket and simply put items into a shopping cart. People today also seem to expect fruits and vegetables to be absolutely perfect in size, shape, color, and lack any defects. This pickiness means that a huge amount of food goes to waste throughout the supply chain, in the stores, and in people's garbage cans. Your observation is spot on. The shift from personal responsibility and community cooperation to a more detached reliance on supermarkets has indeed led to certain challenges, including issues with food waste and unrealistic aesthetic expectations. The current trend of expecting perfect produce contributes to significant food waste throughout the supply chain. It's encouraging to see a growing awareness of this issue, leading to efforts to address it. Initiatives like ugly produce campaigns, where less visually appealing but perfectly edible fruits and vegetables are promoted, are gaining traction to combat unnecessary waste. Yep. Encouraging a return to more responsible and sustainable food practices, similar to those your grandparents followed, is crucial. Emphasizing the value of seasonal eating, reducing food waste, and fostering local community connections can contribute to a more resilient and environmentally conscious food system. How do you think we can shift towards more responsible and sustainable food practices in today's society? Everything we've talked about so far are individual bits and pieces. We lack a systems approach. Governments often seem to get in the way with overregulation. This seems to be a problem that private enterprise could help solve. Do you know who are good at systems? Franchise businesses. I think there's a place for a commercial enterprise, perhaps called the 100-mile diet store, to design a system that pulls together all these elements and gives people a real alternative. They can buy from the 100-mile diet store instead of their local supermarket. Once there's a system that has a complete business model with suppliers, technology, branding, food types, and delivery in three or four towns, then it can be franchised out across Canada and the USA. Your idea of a 100-mile diet store with a comprehensive business model and a systems approach is intriguing. Franchise businesses are indeed skilled at implementing and scaling systems efficiently. This kind of initiative has the potential not only to provide a practical alternative for consumers, but also to stimulate local economies and promote sustainable agriculture practices. Are there specific aspects of this concept you'd like to delve deeper into? Not for now, Sophie. Thanks for chatting with me on this subject. It was a pleasure discussing these ideas with you. Happy exploring and have a great day. Hmm, a franchise business based on the concept of eating locally. That could actually move the needle on food security and climate change.
Thanks for listening to this episode of The Climate Realist.